Great, good morning. Please do um, keep that passage open. That would be great. Acts 2, page 1094. Shall we, shall we pray as we look at this together? Lord God, we do thank you for your uh, word to us. Uh, and Lord, your spirit uh, amongst us this morning. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us um, by your spirit through these uh, words Luke has recorded for us. Uh, that we may see uh, more uh, of what you want to do amongst us and give the glory to you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've heard um, from Catherine, she's reminded us, hasn't she, of the uh, incident of Jesus turning uh, water in, into wine. Um, a Danish theologian called Kierkegaard, he once said this, he said this, whereas Christ turned water into wine, the church has managed to do something altogether more difficult. It has turned wine into water. I guess many people, kind of both within church and outside church, they'd agree with that sentiment, wouldn't they? But most people don't actually want anything to do with church. It doesn't appear attractive, it doesn't appear relevant, it doesn't appear often like it's got actually much conviction. You plug into the media, plug into the news, what is the focus about on church? It's about decline, it's about division, scandal, uh, morality. Rarely does Jesus seem to feature... Perhaps we think, well, well, that's just, you know, other churches, that's surely not us uh, here at Holy Trinity uh, Norwich. But in truth, don't we often turn the wine of God's glory, the, the gospel, the good news uh, of Jesus Christ into water? We, we just muck stuff up, don't we? Our, our church, like any church, uh, is marred by sin, by weakness, by failure. If you don't see them, then you don't know our church that well. Or, or we don't have very high standards. But today we're starting this, this series where we're considering our welcome, as Richard said, uh, as a church. And, and here in Acts 2, we see, don't we, a church that was clearly welcoming because God added daily to their number those who were being saved, uh, verse 47. This is Dr. Luke's description of a church immediately after the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people had been converted It is the first spirit-filled church in history. What is it? What is it about this church that meant God could do this? What does God want his church to be like? How how do we measure up to this? I think we need to be realistic, don't we? It's very easy to look uh, at the church in Acts and kind of romanticise it or idealise it, to view it as having no divisions or hypocrisies or rivalries. Of course it did. But, but one thing is clear, isn't it? For all of its failures and blemishes, it had been powerfully stirred uh, by the Holy Spirit. It was an effective church, a church that couldn't be ignored, could it? People were filled with awe when they looked at this church. They enjoyed the favour of all the people It was, we could say, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. It was an attractive and welcoming church that made an impact. These are convicting verses because they show us, don't they, what authentic church can be like. But they're also, I think, really encouraging because this church in Jerusalem is made up just of a bunch of weak and sinful people, just like you and me. It is not, in the end, inspirational leadership or some great strategy that builds this church uh, in Acts. It is God. It's God by his spirit, 
who changes ordinary, weak people into what we see as this vibrant community. That is the same spirit of God that is at work today amongst us. We could be like this, or we could be more like this. A church that makes an impact on people around us. A church that cannot be ignored. So people would sit up and they say, that is a church that I want to belong to, a church I want to commit to and to give the glory to God. So there's a question this morning, is this really, what are the marks of a spirit-filled, a gospel-shaped church? I think there are three we can pull out from this passage. First, a spirit-filled, gospel-shaped church is a learning church. Do you see that in verse 42? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I wonder, is that, is that a bit of a surprise? The first thing Luke records is that the church was devoted uh, to the apostles' teaching. I think you could put it like this. You could say the Holy Spirit opened a new academy or a new school on the day of Pentecost. And the teachers uh, were the apostles that Jesus had chosen and trained. And you'd got here 3,000, if you like, new pupils. There's an appetite, isn't there? A single-minded hunger here for God's word. A kind of sense of sitting at the feet of the apostles, just not being able to get enough of this, this teaching. They knew Jesus had appointed the apostles to be the authoritative teachers of the church. So they submitted to their unique ministry, the teaching that they had And these miraculous signs which God had empowered the apostles to do, they authenticated, they validated the teaching the apostles gave. This is not just another set of human ideas and passions. This is from God. This is a time of fresh revelation. I think sometimes when we talk about churches or people kind of go to different churches, they say, well, you know, this church is really great on the Bible, the teaching's really good, but it's a bit flat spiritually. Or can you talk about another church and say, this church is really kind of full of the spirit, spirit-led, but you know, the teaching, it's kind of a bit, a bit weak and a bit thin. The, the Bible knows nothing of that kind of distinction, does it? Because the, the devotion that we've got here to the teaching of the apostles is a sign of the spirit of God being at work. Spirit of God, word of God, they can't be uh, divided. Just think about what happens on the day of Pentecost, just before this passage. The Spirit of God comes, and what does Peter do? He preaches, he opens up uh, God's words. It is the, the word of God is the great tool of the Holy Spirit to grow the church of God. I, sp- I suppose what is, what is the application for us today, how is it possible for us to devote ourselves to submit to the teaching of the apostles who are no longer here? Well, we are to continue, aren't we? The, the apostolic teaching made possible by what we've got here on the pages of the New Testament. If, if we want to submit to the apostles, submit to their teaching, then we want to submit, don't we, to the New Testament, to lap up it's teaching to be devoted to it, 
just as uh, the early church was. What, what does that look like? Well, well, in the end, healthy Christians, a healthy church, it is going to be dead keen, dead keen to, to get into the Bible. If, if, we're, if we're not fired up or excited by that sort of desire, then, then something has gone badly wrong uh, in our Christian life. So, so opening up the Bible, it's at the heart, isn't it, of our meetings. We, we teach the Bible to children at home. We commit to small groups to study together. We read together uh, one-to-one. So our blood, it becomes more biblical. Our, our minds are shaped uh, by, by God's word, applied to our hearts by God's spirit. That is how we'll know what God wants us to do, how he wants us to live, what decisions he wants us to make. That in the end, isn't it, is how we're nourished, how, how, how we grow in discipleship, how we're shaped as a Christian community, as this community, as we'll see, was shaped. It's interesting, isn't it? It so often seems to be the new Christian that, that seems to get that best, doesn't it? It's often the new believer who they've become a Christian and they just can't get enough of the Bible. They can't seem to put it down. They're so kind of thrilled and excited with it. That is a sign of the Spirit of God at work in that person's life. A spirit-filled, gospel-shaped church is a learning church. But I think, I think secondly, a spirit-filled, gospel-shaped church is a sacrificial church, a sacrificial church. So it's members, they love and they support one another. We see that, don't we? As well as being devoted to the apostles' teaching, they were devoted to the fellowship, verse 42. The the Greek word here for for fellowship is is koinonia. And what koinonia does is it expresses common Christian life, what we share in together. So it's partly expressing what we share in together, what makes us one, the, the grace of God. And that is what we share in, isn't it? The, the grace of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is what unites us. But it also expresses what we share out, what, what we share out together. And that is what Luke concentrates on, isn't it? In verses 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. This is one of those alarming verses, I think. It's a kind of sort of verse you want to slide over and, and get to the next one. What is the model um, here? This is not a call, for, I think, for all believers to divest themselves of all private property and give everything away in some Marxist utopia or nightmare, depending on your political perspective. And we see that, don't we, by, by what some of the fellowships still have here. So they've still got, haven't they, verse 46, homes, some of them, in which they meet uh, together. So it can't be the case. It might be the case for some. It was, wasn't it, for the rich young ruler, who Jesus said you've got to sell everything. But, but not for all. So I guess sigh of relief, don't have to contact the estate agent, and then you set up a Gumtree account. But, but, but I think we can't duck the challenge, can we? Because what is clear is that these early Christians, they, they love one another, don't they? 
unsurprising because the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. There's clearly a really strong commitment uh, to, to each other. I think this is deeper than just charity, isn't it? It's almost as if they are, they are shareholders together in a business, or, or they're partners together uh, in a partnership, sort of pooling their resources. They know they belong to each other because they belong to Jesus. They've got everything in common because of that. So they cared for their brothers and sisters. They shared uh, what they had. Someone has come up, come up with this phrase, which I think is cheesy. In some ways, I don't like it, but it's helpful. So I'm going to share it. Someone said this, Christian fellowship is Christian caring, and Christian caring is Christian sharing. That's what's going on here, wasn't it? So, so these early Christians, they're joined together as one body. They saw the resources God had given them as, as not just their own, not just for themselves, for their family, but a gift that could serve the needs of the whole body. And we see more of that. If you, if you kind of wing forward to the end of Acts chapter 4, uh, there's no needy persons uh, among this community. They loved their neighbour as themselves. They were dead keen, dead keen on being a sacrificial church. There are certain tendencies, aren't there, for church life. Perhaps you, perhaps you recognise these. There is the kind of spectators' um, supporters club. So we kind of turn up to church each week. We kind of see how the team is doing. We become really expert at what is going on at the front of church. From time to time, we shout from the back of the stand. We get a season ticket. We sing the supporters' songs. Occasionally, we whinge about the manager uh, and about the coaches. We might kind of go out and buy the kit. We never actually get on the pitch and play the game. And when we're asked to come to training, when we're asked to get on the pitch and play, well, it's time to head for the turnstiles and get out. Well, perhaps another model, there's, there's a health spa model of church, isn't there? So we come along on Sunday for a bit of a kind of spiritual feel-good time factor. Church on Sunday helps us feel like we lose a bit of our spreading materialistic bulge. We're feeling a, a bit better shape as we relax in the kind of jacuzzi of spiritual bubbles. And um, could go further, we won't. Uh, uh, and if our favourite preacher is on, well, then we might kind of get a bit of motivational sort of therapy uh, from the front. Well, what, what is the common thread there? Those are consumer models, aren't they, of church. Church is for my benefit. I take. I don't really give. That is not what is going on, is it, in Acts, in Acts 2. This church is about people. This church is about committed relationships and a community of love. As I was preparing this talk, I was thinking that this model in Acts 2 it is probably as radical and as countercultural and as attractive as it has ever been. As it has ever been, I think. We can spend hours, can't we? Hours on Facebook, have hundreds of friends. I don't, but we could. Yet not really sense we're actually part of anything. Yet more people in the UK, they live alone 
than at any time before. In lots of ways, we're more connected, and yet life is really atomized. You know, human life is a constant barter, isn't it, of needs. We've got skills, we've got interests, we've got pressures. We play off uh, other people. But rarely do we actually really serve another person. I think if we're honest, even our friendships, they're usually based, at least in part, aren't they, on what we can get out of that relationship. Yet, yet real fellowship, deep fellowship, that is the longing, isn't it, of every human heart. When the Holy Spirit fills our lives, he creates a fellowship of people that know, they know they've been given to one another by Christ. And we're to be to each other what Jesus is to each of us personally. To to reflect the life of Jesus, the love of Jesus, in the way that we relate to each other in the body of Christ. So there can't be, can there? There can't be such a thing as a Christian lone ranger or a Christian spectator. What we have in common in Christ who lives in us by his spirit, draws us together, helps us to love one another with the love that God has given to us. So so together we can demonstrate, can't we, that to the world there is an alternative humanity. There is a new, a better, a right way of living. I used to be on a Scripture Union beach fishing team for a number of years and the core of the team used to return uh, to the mission each year. And it was an incredibly diverse team in almost every respect. And yet the relationships and the fellowship were uniquely deep uh, in my experience. And one year we had a a cook's assistant who came along uh, who wasn't a Christian. And at the end of the fortnight, he, he gave his life to Christ and became a Christian. And when he gave his testimony... Uh, He said this, I remember it very clearly, he said, I simply could not believe the depth of relationships and love that people have on this team for each other. He said, in normal life, you lot would have nothing to do with each other, and yet you mean everything to each other. The depth of our relationship, that was the hook of the gospel for him. I'm really thankful for the fellowship that I have in this church. This is family. It's really special. There are amazing things uh, going on in this church. Many of us here, we know, we experience real, practical, gritty love shown by one member of this church to another. It's often not flashy, is it? It's not publicised on a nice, slick website. It's not well known, but it is so obviously a work of the Holy Spirit. God is at work amongst us by his Spirit. But we're just to keep working at it, aren't we? Praying that God would soften our hearts as we love each other practically, as we listen, as we share our time and skills with each other, with a person who pours out their troubles or their joys, as we dip into our pockets to help the person who's fallen on hard times, that is authentic church life. What are we doing? We're following, aren't we, a Christ who gave himself on the cross, even to death, so that we might have life.
So surely we must do all we can to meet the needs of others as an expression of God's love for us, which we only have because God loved us first. Just think what a, what a radical, what a countercultural community that would be to a person looking in. Be like nothing else they will have seen or experienced. Spirit-filled, gospel-shaped church is a learning church. It's a sacrificial church. Finally and briefly, a spirit-filled, gospel-shaped church is a worshipping church. A worshipping church. Look at verse 42. They also devoted themselves to the breaking of breads and to prayer. And then verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts... They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. Do you see, there's, there's formal, isn't there? Formal worship going on and also informal worship going on here. So worship that took place in the temple and in the homes. And they were dead keen, again, dead keen uh, on both of these things. Regular meeting together, that was a big priority for them, committed to meeting together. The prayers talked about here are probably very likely the public prayers that took place in the temple, the formal worshipful meetings, we could say a bit like our Sunday gatherings, but they also met informally in their homes, a bit like our, our small groups or other informal ways, breaking bread. That is almost certainly a reference to sharing the Lord's Supper together, probably celebrated at the beginning of a meal or the end of a meal as they sat round and just celebrated, remembered Jesus' body broken on the cross for them, his blood poured out for their forgiveness. There is, isn't there, just just a sense of a simple, single-minded, exuberant joy uh, in this passage. They had glad and sincere hearts. They praised God. Because they knew, they knew that God... In his gracious mercy, it was him who brought them into this new reality. It's often the case, isn't it, that lots of significant relationships, big ideas, they're developed at a table over food. And that is something that is clear, stressed here in verse 46. Perhaps we're thinking, or some of us are thinking, well, this is all very well, but if we, spend, if we just spend too much time together, won't that just stop the good news of Jesus going out into the world. Haven't we done enough of that already? Isn't it time to do something different and kind of get out there? That is true. We shouldn't turn in, should we, on one another or or spend all our time with, with Christians, never share the good news of Jesus with people who don't know Christ. But it is also true, isn't it, that the quality of our fellowship, our life together as a church, It is one of the most attractive magnets for the gospel that the world needs to see. The world outside, they knew something of what was happening in the church here in Acts. They enjoyed the favour, these Christians, of all the people. Verse 47. People were attracted to this group. That is why God, and it's God who does it, isn't it? That is why God was able to add to their number daily. 
It was an authentic, an attractive, a welcoming church. Here was a spirit-filled, a gospel-shaped church to which you could bring a new Christian and you knew they'd be loved, they'd be cared for, they'd be nurtured. Do you see how in the end this church is all about relationships? What have you got? You've got the relationships between the early Christians and the apostles whose teaching they were devoted to. You've got the relationships between each other as they loved, as they supported one another, shared their lives together in commitment. You've got their relationship with God, haven't you? As they worshipped him in prayer, in the breaking of bread. And you've got their relationship with the world as God used this new community to reach out in mission to a lost world and bring people into his kingdom day by day by day by day. If, if we're to have this kind of deep oneness which shows itself to the world, it is going to take time, isn't it? It will take commitment as we learn together, as we give of ourselves, as we worship the Lord, as we remember the cross together, as we lift things to him in prayer, in times of sorrow and of joy. But we see, don't we, when a church is nurtured like this, then the thanksgiving and praise will be a characteristic of the church and we will be noticed. People will see us as a city on a hill which cannot be ignored. I wonder if we just dare to line up a bit more behind these principles, give of ourselves, commit to one another in service, then surely we'll find a place where God is willing to give to us, to bless us, just beyond our imagination. This is a church that I want to be a part of. What about you? Shall we pray? Lord God, we do thank you for the just great encouragement and challenge of this, this passage, this, this record that Luke has for us of uh, the early church. And Lord God, just how, how you were at work at shaping that community into a fellowship of believers united by your spirit as one, committed to each other in love uh, and a shining beacon for the world to see. Lord God, we pray that you would uh, shape us in the same way, Lord, that you would help us to uh, be able to commit to one another more wholeheartedly. Lord, to want to sit under uh, your teaching, to be shaped as a fellowship by you. Lord, to daily be joyful and remember the cross and be committed uh, in prayer. Lord God, we thank you so much for what is so special in this church in so many ways. For the great encouragement so many of us see day by day. Lord God, we pray for more we'd see more of that, experience more of that. The world would see more of that. And Lord God, that the glory would be given to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.